On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Denise Marsa. She has a new song and video out called Float, The Cowgirl and the Alien. But that is just the tip of the iceberg. She has such a rich background from New York to London to L.A. and back. And I think there's even some New Jersey in there. So I want to explore that and much more. So welcome to the show, Denise. Great. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. What I love about your story is you're someone who has not only paid your dues, but you've made a mark in very meaningful ways throughout your whole career. And I just want to first talk about, you know, when you meet someone, what's your elevator pitch for the Denise Marsa career? And usually I just say, uh, go to my website because it's, it's so, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, otherwise like you have an hour. No. So like there, there, it's an interesting question. you like, how would I put my career in? How long is this? What floor are we going to? We're, we're starting on one and we're going to how many floors are we going up? So how long is the elevator ride? That's a good question. We, we could probably go up to like the 90th floor with you. Okay, so <laughs> then I have some time. I could, and uh, I guess, and let's make it nonstop. You know, we'll just say, you know, we'll go the express elevator route. Um, well, can I, well, know, can I, I blow think... your own horn first? Because I have to say, <laughs> no matter what we talk about today, first of all, you had like a number three hit in the UK with, with a man named Dean Friedman. I mean, you've seen great success there in the '80s. You sang lead for a big dance hit with the Flirts, mm. and, and and you played in Max's Kansas City, where the Ramones and Blondie and Talking Heads were, you know, making a stir. You've kind of always had your finger on the pulse. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's a good way to put it. You know, so that's what I can say. That's my elevator pitch. Thanks, Kelly. You know, when they ask me, I'll just say, I'm in the music business, and I've always kept my finger on the pulse. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, so let me back up a little bit. You know, you've done such cool things, and maybe this is like the least of your credits, but when I saw that you sang lead on a flirts hit, it just brought me back to the 80s dance music, Bobby Orlando, you know, and, and not only that, but just the revolving door of singers with the flirts. Yeah, it's an interesting story that um, I was called in to do the session, um, and uh, you didn't know much about him or the whole, you know, system, his system, his his way of being. And uh, I was just signing my first publishing deal on my way to London, and uh, I just went to the studio. We went somewhere in New Jersey, and I replaced the voice that was already on the recording. And um, I think it was Sylvia Robinson's studio. It was a woman. I think it was a woman-owned studio, which I didn't realize until years later. And yeah, so then I redid the song, and I added some backup parts. And I actually am also on the album "Make uh, I Think Made in America," something like that, with Richard Gottier. I put my voice on a song called "Making Time." So there's two tracks I'm on that album. But it, you know, you don't get okay. credit, you don't get anything, and it's you know, I was sort of. I don't advise that for any singer to ever do that um, because, you know, you, you know, especially since the song has stood the test of time and it became such a big hit, 
you know, people that know my voice know it's me, but how else does, you know, there's no one that really, how, how can, I can't really identify myself to the voice other than saying that's my voice and people that know my voice say, oh yeah, that's you, you know, so, um, but yeah, so it was an interesting situation. I went in there, I did the session, um, and then I saw weeks later it was on the charts, or well, months later, I think, the right before I moved to London, I went to, I just had it inclination to get a billboard i said i wonder whatever happened to that song and then i saw it was on the chart and then i actually went to the record store and i said do you have that song helpless because yeah so i said can you play it because i wanted to hear the final version yeah some yeah and then we listened to and i said to the guy that's me but i I wouldn't recommend it at all you know to, to not get credit to sign what i think at that time you know, just as a session singer, um, I would never, never, would never suggest it. I would never do it again. Well, it's so ironic because just a few years before that, you're also on another big hit, and at least on the single, uh, they didn't credit you either. No, and, you know, I'll, oh, sorry, I'll add that to my elevator pitch. My finger is always <laughs> on the pulse, but my name is not always on the the record, the hit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, and so Lucky Stars is this enduring hit, at least in the UK. You know, is yeah, really yeah. high on the charts. And um, so, what did you learn from all that? Well, I mean, that was a similar thing where I I had a management at the time, but they were falling apart at the time. They had some stuff going on. They were kind of the company was, you know, breaking up. And then I had met Dean in the studio in Columbia Studios when I was singing for this who became my manager. He was a wonderful engineer, Don Palouse, uh, did, you know, engineered major, major, major records. And he became my first manager with a partner he had, uh, Carlos. And so um, I, you know, I, what I learned from that was basically show your own attorney everything, no matter what, even if you have managers, sometimes you have to have a separate, unless you have, you know, they were just new to manage, management, and I was a new artist. And so I think we were, everybody was sort of just new at the whole contracts and management. And when they invited me to sing on the record, um, I, don't, I don't know that my management had the wherewithal to say, let's make sure her name's on it. But what's interesting is, because my name wasn't on it, uh, everybody was wondering, who's the woman? Who's the girl? Like, and they liked my voice. And so they started, I think it helped to fuel the success of the record because these fans were writing to Dean and calling him an egomaniac and, and writing to the record label, why didn't you put her name on this? So people were kind of upset. So I became the mystery voice and, you know, I recover on all the, like the, at the time when we did the tour, especially uh, my, my face was on, this is the mystery lady. She arrived in London for the tour. And so it was interesting, you know, you, you learn. And, again, it might have fueled the success of the record, but the cool thing is is after those letters, a letter was written from Dean and the record company worked everything out and I'm apparently featured everything else now on the single and whenever you see the song, mostly I'm, it's featuring Denise Marsha. So I got my feature, but it was further down the line. Well, that's really nice. It seems like there was, there was some justice for the mystery voice. There you go. And, uh, and I, it's, I, the interesting part is, is I finally started making royalties on the record in 2008. So that's 30 years after. Uh, wow. That's a long time yeah. coming. 
Yeah, I didn't give up, and I kind of took different avenues, ways to find out how to get it. And then someone I know who was a publisher initially of the song in London sat me down and said, just write a letter to this person who was involved with the record. And the certain things that happened, which, which I don't want to get into, you know, it's the music business, there's always complications. Make a left, make a right, make a left, make a right, go backwards, go forwards. And so things that happened so that it was just that moment in time where I could get an agreement together with Dean, with everybody, and they decided to start to pay me to start to pay me royalties in 2008. Thank goodness, and it's been great. You know, it, it's almost like ah, finally resolved. Because as much as I love just singing, which I do, and I, it's interesting to know that the song has stood the test of time. Uh, it's nice mm-hmm. to be paid for your work. It's most important, actually. Well, I don't know if you've seen it, but I think in 2012, someone posted on YouTube, you reunited with Dean Friedman to sing Lucky Stars. There, you know, it says after 25 years reunited, and the comments are just glowing. People definitely remembered and were just thrilled to see you on stage singing this again. That's nice. Thank you. I think someone told me about that. I might have seen it a while ago. That's cool. I, you know, that's nice. And that's what, what's so wonderful um, about music, you know, and I think that's interesting for me now because in some ways I'm having more success in some ways than I've had my entire career now. And what's wonderful is that sometimes if someone likes you or becomes a fan or supports you, they're there for life unless, you know, you, you know, you change your music and, you know, if I start doing hard rock, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's nice because some people that really are there, they're there for you. It's, and I think um, it's wonderful as an artist to have that kind of support. It just keeps you going because you go through all kinds of things as an artist, ups and downs and all that stuff. But to know that people are still interested in hearing your, your voice, hearing your work, hearing your songs, you know, it's wonderful. You know, it keeps you going. It's mm-hmm. nice. Don't ever underestimate well, the value of a fan, right? Absolutely. And you have continued to record, but it seems pretty unique now with Float. Like, you know, you, you, you prepared to go back in the studio, you know, you took a little break, and now saying, okay, I've got something to say again. You know, what motivated you to record Float now? Well, it's interesting because I've been recording consistently throughout I mean, all the decades, I put my own, I Mm -hmm. actually started my own record company and I put my own record out uh, in 1998. Um, And because I had some deals, I had publishing deals, I had a record deal, but everything always seemed to get a little bit convoluted. And the person that signed me left the company. And then, I mean, it was just really, there's always, there's always a start, stop, start, stop. And so I decided to start my own record company and put my own record out so that's when things really shifted for me in 1998 I put out my album self and then I waited a while I got involved with my company community public relations and then I put out I started producing other artists and mentoring other artists because I felt like I didn't have the kind of mentoring and the kind of support as a young artist that really could have shifted my career a hundred thousand percent so I started doing that for other artists which was an interesting perspective so I uh, put my other record out in 2012, which is funny enough, that's when I put my other album out, Live Forever. Um, and I've been writing and 
creating different videos. I did All This Time Alone as a single before Float, which is a really cool song about kind of about the pandemic and how we're all feeling. Um, so I've been writing and recording and putting stuff out, maybe singles, maybe with other artists as a producer. And then Float just, I had the song and I just had a feeling like for something kind of special. And then I had the idea for the video animated. I just thought to myself, wow. I mean, it just kind of came to me. And so I thought, I think I'm going to put some, some energy into this. You know, you have to be able to, when you create something, that's one thing. That takes a certain kind of energy. It's a very different kind of energy when you create a song and then a video and your concept and all that and you work on it. But then to put the different energy out to promote something, that's a totally different experience. You know, the idea that you're going to put it out there. And so I like the I, video a lot. It, it reminded me of Elton John's last video with Dua Lipa where they animated it. I, yeah, I didn't see that. I've heard about it since. But sometimes for me, I don't look at a lot of stuff so that I keep my ideas fresh. Um, I'm going to have to check that out. But I heard he did an animated video. I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, but I, I'll check it out. I don't know. I just had this idea. Um, and I found someone to work with me on it, Carolina, and I was, we just sort of went for it. So, and I, I was getting a really mm-hmm. wonderful response, which is fantastic, which is how I met you through HIP, HIP, promo, you know, video promo. Video brings people together. Yeah, I didn't realize that. This is only my second official video I've ever done. I did a video for The Land oh, wow. Had a Dream. Yeah. I mean, as far as my own music. Like I've done some, like, piece together, like, these lyric videos or this and that. But the only other video I've ever done for a song or a release um, was when I put out South in 1998. I was in L.A., my company, Key Media Group, and we did the song The Land Out of Dream. And it's a, a big production. It's like we went to a studio, and we, we had a concept. I had a director, a British director, and producers and all that. And I kind of, at that, at that point, I kind of just showed up and went along with what was going on because I was so involved with the record and promoting it. And I, we talked about it, you know, like I had an idea of the storyboard, but it was mostly a performance video. So I knew that I could handle that. Um, And that's the only other video that I've ever put any money or time into. And I don't even think we hired a promotion company. We just sort of put it out there um, with the album. And then this video, like I said, the whole idea came to me. I did the whole storyboard uh, myself, I put it like in a memo, I spoke it. And it just was one of those moments where, wow, I guess that's what's happening. You know, like I had the idea for the song, because when I write songs, I just kind of come, they just come, you know, and so this mm-hmm. just came and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I had a feeling it would be kind of cool. And so far, it, it seems like people are definitely connecting with it. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that videos were still so important, you know. But they are. Well, another way you've used video, I know leading up to it, I saw on your YouTube channel, you had a vlog, uh, Tea with Denise. Yeah, we just started doing that. My, I, I have someone who helps me with social media. She's actually social media manager, Maggie Dimitrova. She's over, she's from Bulgaria, but she lives in Portugal. And she's been helping me with my, me and my, you know, I have a few, I've had a few clients over the years for my key media public relations because I, I, got into that for a while. Um, as I said, I was helping other people, other artists, other clients. Um, and because I, I, you know, I learned how to promote 
from my own work, and some people started asking me, could you help me? And so then all of a sudden I had key media public relations. But, yeah, so she had the idea. She said, why don't you start talking on a weekly basis? And we just decided to call it. She was Denise, and then I started doing, I think I did 12, 12 little episodes so far. But it was interesting because, you know, you're, if you, for me, I've had many hats, many hats on. You know, back to the elevator pitch, I've worn many hats. And so uh, putting myself back on camera, uh, it was cool. And she could help me to prepare for promotion for the, for the float video, for the cowgirl and the alien. I think that's Well, it's been- interesting when you have to sit down and organize your thoughts, because I know a lot of artists, they just take for granted what's going through their head. But when you actually sit down and talk through your process, like I saw you show the screen when you're recording, and, you know, to see the nuts and bolts – does that kind of make you formalize like, wow, I didn't realize, I, you know, I organized my creativity this way. Uh, yeah, it does in a way. Absolutely. Like, you know, you know, especially for me, when I have, when I have some time to write, I want to get the song as done as I can, because I might not get back to it for a little bit. And I always feel my, some of my best songs are that spontaneous moment where, and I can sort of tell when I'm working on something that's going to be something, you know, not everything you write is going to be fantastic or even good or, you know, you can listen back to where you were and you go, oh, right, I remember that song. I never did anything with that really. But then there's some songs like Float where you, when I was working, I said, this is kind of cool. And the whole purpose was really, I think for me, I'm very much, especially these days, I kind of feel what, kind of like the rhythm, the synchronicity of the world itself. And I think the song itself has a lot to do with people going through a lot of change. You know, I wrote it literally January. I think I found on my notes for my lyrics, January 11th, uh, 2022. So it's very new. And so it's about people going through change in their relationships, all kinds of relationships, you know, and, not being able to necessarily see the future, not being able to understand, like with all this, with all this chaos, sometimes people tend to want to keep their feet on the ground. But I kind of, the song is more about keeping your feet off the ground because if you, if you're ready for being off the ground, uh, then you're not going to be so, you're not going to fall. Maybe you won't stumble, you know, you'll keep it. So that's what floats about. It's like, let's stay off the ground. Let's, let's keep floating through this. We'll, we'll get through this as long as we, Bring our best self, and that's what it's sort of about. Reading, like, mm-hmm. you know. well, I was reading somewhere where you were saying sometimes you identify with the cowgirl, and sometimes with the <laughs> alien. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting. You know, obviously, too, for me, like there's the artist side of me, which you could say that's the alien part where you don't know what's going to come in any moment, sort of like you just sort of all of a sudden get an idea, boom. Um, and I think with float, I had the idea of the word float. I like the idea of that word. Sometimes the title comes to me and then I write the song around the title. And then the cowgirl, the cowgirl is the one, you know, got to get on the horse, got to, you know, ride, got to take care of the farm or the ranch. And that's me with my business, you know, because so since 20, uh, 2008 when I started Community Public Relations, you know, I had to take that, you know, when you're an artist, sometimes you have that, I think they say there's a part of your brain 
that works differently if you're an artist or you have more of this type of a brain or whatever. But I had to, tr- mm-hmm. I had to put myself more into business mode. And so uh, perhaps, yeah, I mean, I also know what it's like to be, to be taking a chances and to be out there being a little bit different, not playing it safe. And then I know what it's like to sort of have to be able to stay within some confines of, so, of the ranch. You know, you've got to sense it in a, a little bit now and again. So is that what you mean? Well, that brings up, yeah, well, that brings up an interesting point. It makes me think of left brain, right brain, like as an artist using the left side of your brain as a business person, being more analytical, right side. So, exactly. so you're in an interesting point where you've got to live as the artist a lot of your life. Now that you're the business person, you know, consulting with other artists, you know, putting on your business hat, what's it like to look at other artists from, from the business point of view? And, and especially, what do you see clearly in other artists that maybe you didn't see quite as clearly when you were just on the artistic side? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've worked as, I started off the company working just with musical artists, but I've, I've actually stretched it to painters and authors and all kinds of different clients, but specifically where I feel we can connect and I can help. So, so as far as other artists, what I see, um, I've worked with a lot of younger artists, and so there were times where they would say something to me and I'd go, oh, right, I remember, I think I might have said that too. You know, <laughs> you know, I never liked to, I never, when I worked with artists, when I was producing them and even managing them sometimes, I never liked to tell artists what to do because I know when I was young and an artist, that was the worst thing you could do for me. You know, like everybody has to get to where they're going in their own time. You can make suggestions, but it's the way people talk to an artist when they're younger. And I think that's what I kind of had my skill was really towards speaking to each person individually, because that's the one thing that I was always attracted to an artist that didn't sound like everyone else, because sort of that's what everyone used to say about me. Like, where, how do we define you? Like your genre is very, like you kind of mix genres. And back when I got started, eclectic was not safe for in the industry like nobody like you I just remember being told you have to do this or you have to do that you can't do everything and I'm like why not so other artists I just always like to give other artists freedom I think the more freedom you give them and the more you you can't sometimes too with an artist you can't speak what you think you might show them okay so let's try this so why don't you try doing it that way or what if we did that oh I never thought of that right does it work yeah does it work no sort of, or, or maybe you bet, then the artist takes it from what you both talked about to someplace different. It's the idea, the most important thing for me, what I realized, which I didn't have when I first got started, was is support and people to trust. You know, you have to have the right people in your career that you can trust, and you also have to be able to, for people to speak to you like you're an individual, not like you're one of many, and or like, you know, you're a commodity or whatever. And so, and maybe I was a bit sensitive when I'm younger, or maybe, and maybe still I am a little bit, but I think it's, it's really uniquely looking at every artist and also uh, learning. I learned a lot when I worked with young artists, like, I, like how to become a better artist myself in some ways because you have to listen. And when you listen, you learn more, you know. And sometimes I think when I was younger, I think I knew everything. <laughs> I thought I did. I was so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, being young. Well, I, I get. I like when you. Well, I like when you talk about you know being multifaceted. You know, people want to peg you as just one thing. And an intriguing part of your background is uh, you trained in musical theater. And it seems yeah. like in a recent project you did called The Pass, like you mm. got to express some of that. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, to be honest, Kelly, you know, for me, that's when everything, I mean, there's, if I was to say there's been shifts, because there's always shifts. And I think what's really cool is if you're in the now, you can feel that. You can feel when things are shifting. Mm-hmm. If you hold on to the past mm-hmm. too much, if you regret things, you resent things, if you're thinking too much about the house on the beach, you know, and you're still not there yet, you've, you've got to be able to be where you are and, when, and be in the now. And so what shifted for me, there were a few things. When I put my own record out and I understood what, what it takes to start your own record company, what it takes to produce a record, to do the artwork, to do the, you know, the marketing, then to promote it. Because I did my own PR, I put on a, which has been my show, The Past. I created a, a, a different uh, persona for myself as a publicist. So I became my own publicist, but I had a different name. <laughs> so, you know, I had mm-hmm. fun with it, but I also learned how to be a publicist. Uh, and so for me with the past, that was a big shift. I did start writing it in 2016, uh, and I mm-hmm. debuted it. I, I premiered it in London at the Playground Theater. So basically uh, I was doing a, a performance, a concert, in New Jersey, at a library, because libraries pay for a lot of libraries pay for artists to perform, uh, and they don't charge mm-hmm. their their the audience, but but you get a good crowd, especially on Saturday or Sunday. And I had booked another client there, and the woman who booked said, "Don't you perform too? Why don't you do a performance?" So I went to the performance, and so I said to everybody. Um, in the audience, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to do a song, and then we'll talk about it. Like, I, I felt like it was a time of engaging. And so, and I don't know, for some reason, I thought, well, let's get the audience a bit more involved. So I would do a song, and then we'd stop. And then people question, what questions would ask, like, why did you call it steady? Like, where did you get that idea? You know, and that, was there a line about a baby? Yes. Take heed, helpless newborn babies breathe, you know, cry the first day they breathe. And people were asking me specific things. And a couple questions came to me afterwards, like, why aren't you a household name? Your songs are great. Your voice is great. Why aren't you? And back to the elevator pitch. So I would say to people, you have a couple hours? And so that gave me the <laughs> idea right, to write a show, The Path. Uh, I wanted to create some little stories throughout my career that were highlights things that helped me to shift, things that helped me to learn, things that were disappointing, things that were exciting. And then I would intersperse my original songs throughout the show, and that's what The Past is. It's, it's kind of called The Past, a music, you know, the, it's called The Past or The Past Musical because it's not a play. It's actually little vignettes with songs intertwined, mm-hmm. and that's, what my, that's the show. And I still i am working on it. My idea is to actually do a, a bigger film, like film it with, a, with three cameras and, you know, do a, a bigger production of it. That's one of my goals. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seems like such a New York thing to do. Like there is that great genre that almost borders on cabaret, but cabaret in the best sense, you know, when you see someone like Elaine Stritch, you know, doing these great um, songs and t- talking about her career and life. And it just seems like such a, like people want to hear that. They want to hear wisdom. They want 
to hear other people's experiences. And this is, you know, obviously a show you couldn't do at 19, that it's just something <laughs> that only you can uniquely yeah. do right now. It would be one vignette, one song. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good point, actually. Um, and I think there's always been an intrigue and interest in songwriting, I find, and singing. Like, I think if you asked blindly, like, you just say, okay, if there's one thing in this world that you could do really well that you, or you could do, because, you know, people will say to me, how do you write a song? I wish I could write a song. Or, wow, how do you sing? I wish I could sing. I can't, I can't hum a note. I can't stay in tune. And so and I, I'm sure there's other things, too, like flying an airplane or, you know, being an artist. You know, but there are a lot of people that, especially that are not as creative or they don't think they're creative, because I have a feeling, my, my overall opinion is everyone can be creative. you just got to tap into that. You've got to be supported by that. You've got to be able to, you know, have the kind of um, belief in yourself and confidence to step into it and to step into it further and then to step into it further. Because we all learn when we're younger how to draw. And we're not, may not all be the best artists, but we all, as, as we grow up, we learn about creativity. You know, we, we learn, you know, that's part of our learning process, how we see things. You know, you see a tree, paint the tree, you know, draw the tree. But back to the, 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 the shows, I think people are interested in learning about the whole creative process. I think shows like the Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, um, even the, when I saw Green Day had a show on Broadway, I'm like, what? Um, you know, you're, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time. And I watched the Tonys last night. I thought they were really good. And I think there is mm-hmm. – I've always mixed genres because I've listened to a lot of classical. You know, people have said they kind of mix my, my sound. Like, well, it's kind of – it's kind of rock. It's kind of folk. It's kind of pop. It's, it's, the chords are a little different. Kind of jazz. I don't know. Like so, I think mixing music and genres is, you know, uh, I've always want, I've always done that, and I've always, you know, been intrigued by that, and that's what inspires me. And I think that stage theater, an audience that sits there to sit and listen, as opposed to an audience that goes to a bar to drink and have fun and pick up, you know, a sweetheart for mm-hmm. the night, whatever. You know, there's different, <laughs> intentions, different intentions. And I think I like where people could come and sit and watch. And that was my first tour when I did Lucky Stars. We played great venues. I went from playing 50 on Bleecker Street here in New York City, like 50 people in a room at one of the little, you know, little clubs to like 3,000 theaters. But they came and they sat and they watched the performance, you know, mm-hmm. the tour, you know. And so that was. And I, I, it took me so many years to come up with that idea, like, that maybe I should put my stuff in more that kind of a setting, more of like in an audience setting. Um, and so the past for me also was a way for me to um, acknowledge me, acknowledge my past, acknowledge my accomplishments, acknowledge my silliness, acknowledge my stubbornness. You know, everything's, you know, there are reasons for everything. You know, so maybe, maybe it's almost maybe. like you're now telling the world you will be the mystery voice no more. <laughs> well, I don't know. Who knows? I do hope that I have a song of mine that surpasses the knowledge, success, the the um, the notoriety of Lucky Stars. I think that's one of the things that I would like to see happen. That one of my own songs 
I, I have some success with my own music, my own songs, you know, because my biggest success has been my first record. And so I want to have more success, and I want to have it with songs that I've written. And, you know, that's the goal. And, and it's still a goal, you know. I don't know, you know, how it seems to still live, but it's still there, you know. Can I ask you a quick question? Of course. How did you get into this? You, podcast, talking to artists, talking to people. You know, I did go to broadcasting school, but I would say, you know, you have official education, but just having the education doesn't mean you're interested in people. So I think it Mm. had to be a strong interest in people and then a strong interest in music and every album back when they had vinyl albums, reading every liner note, reading Billboard magazine, looking at the record charts, and thank goodness for Wikipedia and Discogs now. Right. So I think it's almost like, you you know how some guys are into like baseball statistics? Right you know, RBIs and home runs. I was really into, like, you know, the billboard charts. I was, like, my baseball statistics equivalent. Right. And do you play an instrument? You know, I grew up playing clarinet. I was in band, marching band, orchestra, full hilt. Wow. And you grew up (laughs) in New York? No, Seattle. Oh, wow. You do have a nice voice. You have a nice, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, a broadcaster voice. I can, I, can, uh, I can hear that. So I wasn't sure if you were always in the music or podcast or were you on television? Did you do other radio shows? You know, like it's, it's interesting to see how we all, where we all come from and where we, where we put our biggest focus, you know, eventually. You know, I think part of it is there's just something so unique about a music career kind of like you where you're not just set in stone. You might, you know, sit in on a session for the flirts. You know, you might duet with someone. You might start your own band. I just love to see the evolution of, like, a musical artist. Yeah, and make no mistake about it, I will never do another session with the flirts. They're no longer. But But basically, I've learned, like, I've had my two little tastes of being the guest singer with or without my name on it uh and uh you know i like collaborating with people and i you know like i collaborated with uh, a producer in germany on on float I, I he's now become my right hand production wise in fact we're working on an ep a new ep that's gonna come out i think i hope probably early august i hope um we'll see around august september um, and I've got new songs I'm putting on there, and I love what, what's happening because he's got some other people he's brought in to work with us on the track. Um, but I love, I do love collaborating, but I've learned that at this stage, um, so I don't know, who knows what could happen? You're right. Maybe, maybe, who knows? But I do love collaborating, especially, you know, on, on my stuff now. I think I have enough security in what I'm doing and who I am that I can work through you know, because it's really brainstorming and figuring out the be- what's the best way to go there, what's the best way to do this. And sometimes you just sit back and some someone might take it to where you might not take it, back to that whole uh, conversation about other artists when I was producing other artists. It's interesting, you know, like ha- how 
excuse me, you can, when you collaborate, you don't, you don't really know where you're going to end up. And when I was younger, you know. I was very naive and I didn't really know much about the business at all. I was very trusting and very bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, and I just said, I'm going to be a superstar. Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, I was like, Lord, Lord, Lord. Well, it's very important <laughs> to learn the business side and, you know, Absolutely. being a fan at first and then crossing that line and seeing the business side, it does tarnish it a bit like, oh, my goodness. You know, I just see the idealized version, but then I realize, you know, there's heartbreak and, you know, weird business deals. But once you kind of get past that, you reconcile and think, well, okay, I admire the artists even more because they've endured just the craziness of the business. Yeah, and, th- and that's really important for me. And I, this is one thing, I don't know how I knew this, but I always knew that I wasn't going to sacrifice my core self for success. So I wasn't going to just do anything. I, do. I had integrity. I wasn't going to, like, try to undermine someone. I wasn't going to lie. I'm not going to try to, you know, there was, I wasn't very competitive. I didn't feel like, you know, I just, I always had a really a sense of self. That's probably why I called my first album Self. Funny enough, the cover was uh, Mylar, so when people picked it up, they saw themselves. That was the whole point of self. Because in the end, I think mm-hmm. that's really all we, we have. We have other kinds of relationships and, you know, all types of relationships. But really, in the end, it's having a sense of yourself that really helps you to get through mm-hmm. whatever you're going to go through in life. And so, and know how you're going to handle things. And I think I always knew, mm-hmm. even when I was younger, I wasn't going to compromise who I was, the core of me. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be someone else. Let's say, uh, let's say I had huge success when I was 30 or, you know, 25 or whatever age. But if I was someone I didn't know or like, I don't know, like, would, it, would, it, would success feel the same? I don't know. You know, I guess we all have our, Way, and also putting things in perspective so that you don't – I never, I never ever wanted to feel angry or be bitter or – I never – I always, always remained grateful for what, what I did have and what I did experience, but it doesn't mean that I can't want more. I've learned a lot about um, where, again, once one of my shifts, the shift was, You have to, we all have to be accountable for what we do. We have to be accountable for what we sign. We have to be accountable for what we ask, what we don't ask. And so, you know, it's that that attitude. And if you feel like you're a victim, then you're going to be a victim. If you feel like, you know, okay, so, you know, I mean, the music business isn't the only business that people can get very greedy. The music business isn't the only business that people can be not truthful and not full of integrity. The business in general... You know, it, it, and that's why, for me, it was important for me to, as I put the change the karma, the shift. That's when I said, because there are managers that are not wonderful, and there are managers that steal from artists. We've all heard those stories, even big artists. You know, um, I right, wanted, right. yeah, I wanted, I wanted to support new artists. I also want to do things honestly with integrity. And in the end, people get to a place where either they're going to figure out how they're going to navigate whatever business they're in, but let's say the music business, figure out how they're going to navigate, what they're going to have in their life to keep them navigating and keep their attitude fresh. 
And for me, what has saved me or helped me to grow is the constant creating of songs, writing songs, recording them, learning more about, you know, having my own home studio. You know, I won an award for the, my second album. Uh, we recorded in Santa Fe, the basic tracks, and then I had built a little studio at the time where I was living, and then I did all my vocals there, and I was producing it with a, a musician friend of mine who was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. When we went there to the basic tracks, and he said, can I, he said, can I put the uh, album up for an award? I said, sure. And we won for Steady. Like, he and I won for producing it, and then I won for composition. And so, wow. um, yeah, like, I, I've had little things along the way that have happened. And, again, that was him saying, can I submit it? I go, sure. Cause, because if you record, some, if you record in uh, Mexico, New Mexico, there was this New Mexico Music Awards, you could submit a tr- the record if you did some of the work in New Mexico. And I happened to have done that because that's where my co-producer was living at the time. And so um, Andy Gavris. And so, you know, you just, you, you have to do things that inspire you, that keep you interested. And the bottom line for me, uh, and I've had wonderful experiences and I've had disappointing experiences and I've been like, why would you, you know, but in the end, I love, singing and writing songs and I love producing songs mm-hmm. and I'm writing a song I hear it producing and now I love making music videos so it's like I'm mm-hmm. still looking, looking at it with some kind of a freshness so that I can do what I love to do otherwise you let other people stop you if you can't position it the way it's going to work for your life then you're going to you mm-hmm. might stop and then that then you're not going to have what you really want your life to look like and so that's how I look at it. Like, you know, you've got to be able to, you know, it's like you, you make your own map. You know, and you live. I could tell in the video I saw for the, the pass, you're in that room, there's a grand piano, the audience right in front of you, that just right then and there in that moment, you know, that was a success for you. You made a connection with the audience. Yeah. And it didn't matter whether it lived beyond that moment. You had that moment with them. Absolutely. And, again, I think my putting the pass out, you know, I decided to do it in London because I had the success with Lucky Star. So I, I had some really surprisingly wonderful reviews, and I had we sold some tickets, you know, for what it was. And I, um, I really uh, – it shifted for me because I felt like, yeah, that's my story, you know. And I just and, – and like you said, you're absolutely right. Like 10 people, 15 people, 17 people, 30 people, 3,000 people. It's me getting my work out there and my work being heard and also doing what I love to do no matter what. And that's, the, that's you know, that's the bottom line. And, yeah, that's exactly what it is. There's a joy that I get from doing it. So, so I do it. Very good. Well, one last tidbit. So when you formed a band in New York City in the 70s and got to Max's Kansas City, what was the name of that band? Well, here's the interesting part. I, um, I have a poster on my wall right here in my apartment. It was the Easter Rock Festival. And it was, the, it was just said on the poster, Janice Marsa Band, because I have the poster with the Ramones and Blondie and Talking Heads. I was living in New Jersey at the time, in Princeton, New Jersey, and my band were all were all from Jersey. Um, and I wasn't living here yet. I was. I, I knew a manager, this woman manager for, at the time. She knew the owner of Massachusetts, Kansas City, 
and she really loved what I was doing. And she said she had a call from him that I want to step in because somebody canceled. And I was doing very theatrical rock at the time, like big songs, like condescending lines. I had a big voice. This is before Lucky Stars. And I was, uh, people used to compare me like to Janis Joplin when I first got started. And Jim oh, Morrison. Wow. Yeah, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin because of my, uh, the way I performed. And then um, when I was on stage with, like, Wayne County and the Backstreet Boys and the Planets, Talking Heads, you know, Ramon Solange, I came out there, I was doing big rock and roll, have, you know, like, very orchestrated, big. And they just looked at me, and they didn't know what to make of me. You know, they were like, they are clapped because I think they thought, wow, what is she? Who is she, you know? I didn't, bottom line is I certainly didn't fit in, but I'm on the poster. <laughs> you oh, know, wow. At least you got on the poster. Yeah, exactly. And now it was funny because someone I knew, the Ramones did a, they had a museum tour, and, and someone was at one of the Brooklyn museum tour, wherever it was, somewhere in Jersey, and they, they took a picture and they said, I saw this Ramones back to Kansas City. I think it was 76. 76, 75, I don't even know what year. And they said, it's Denise Marshall Band. Is that, I can't believe it. And like, because I, you know, whatever. And so I've had this poster for years, um, but I, you know, you don't, it's just part of me, you know, but it was funny because people that I knew saw my name on the poster. I didn't know you played Masters Kansas City. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that's amazing. Did you, um, See, I idealize that like a lot of people, like, uh, you know, CBGB also, you know, the the epicenter. (laughs) Yeah, I played there with my New Jersey band, too. And then I played, and then when I moved to New York, I was playing clubs like Track, um, The Bitter End, you know, when I, then I moved to New York and I I started like, I started off with one, two, like a bass and a guitar player and then moved it to a bigger band then i had i got management you know you know and they put a band together some great players too um so yeah do you you remember uh the mud club yes i do i don't think i ever played there but i do remember it yep all those kind of those were to me in my mind like max's kansas city cbgb mud club like the trifecta you know, the punk right. and that scene in the late 70s. I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, people that are into music can talk about music forever. 